Welcome to episode 201 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We are coming to you on the eve of Bucks playoff basketball. Bucks Celtics game one takes place in TD Garden in Boston at 12 p.m. Central on Sunday. And with that in mind, starting our run of, I guess, bonus playoff podcasts, Jordan and I have reconvened for our final thoughts on the series overall, and I guess some specifics on Game 1 and the importance of Game 1 in terms of how the result may swing either way. Let's start out right there. If the Bucks are to go on and win this series... If they're to have a real chance of doing that, is it essential that they get game one or give at least a performance similar to what they did in Toronto last year? That even if they're to fall short, they'd have something to really hang on to? Or can they afford to let the Celtics get the first one at home and kind of settle into the series? I think it has to be like last year because not only you want to obviously put your best foot forward. But uh, you certainly kind of, I mean, this is on their Celtics home floor and taking, if you want to win a series or this series, you're going to have to take out an away game uh, or a road game, I should say. And um, I guess away, I don't know. Away works. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know why I I corrected that. Anyway, um, but yeah, basically make your first impression. We all know that the Celtics are the most susceptible team of any of anyone that holds home court of any conference. Um, and taking a game one win, no matter what circumstances, whether it's close, whether it's a game like game one last year, that would go a long way in kind of you know dictating this series from a Bucks perspective. Just one thing you said there that I don't think we've explored, and I. I don't know how much it's been talked about generally, but it'll probably, when I come back at the end of this episode to talk about my overall feelings and my prediction, will factor in quite a lot. When we say that they're maybe most vulnerable or most susceptible to lose, whether it's game one or potentially the series overall of, of home court teams, the one thing I don't get from the Celtics, whether that's recently or from basically any time I've watched them throughout the season is any kind of mental fragility. 
this isn't the Toronto Raptors kind of deal, which I think is is significant and it's important we differentiate it. You know, if the Bucks win, it's because of the injuries, right? If they win a game one, if they win the series. The thing for me and what I'm seeing as probably the biggest factor in the overall series is I just don't see the Celtics team rolling over in any way. I don't see them making it easy for the Bucks in spite of any talent difference. And with that, you're pushing the books into a position that they generally haven't fared all that well this year. Is there any kind of, I don't know if it's concern. I mean, when we're coming into this and we're looking at the books, obviously finishing the regular season with a horrid loss to the 76ers by all accounts the players didn't care all that much about it a little alarming to me but in terms of the mindset of all of this or the readiness for playoff basketball there's parts of it we won't know for sure until we see them take to the court but would you be confident that the books are in as good a place as the celtics because that's an area where i'm kind of struggling I think when it comes down to being prepared mentally, whether it's individually or as a team, I just feel like the Celtics may be ready to get the jump on the books in that regard once the game tips off on Sunday. That's where I, I, I mean, we've been doing a lot of matchup previews and maybe after you look at all these, how games have unfolded, because a lot of, I mean, it's really funny because you're listening. I'm listening to all these podcasts about other series, and there's certain ways that if you look at previous matchups this this season with the Bucks and Celtics, a lot of it doesn't really hold up because a Bledsoe missed the first two games because they played twice in a matter of a week, so he's not even accounted for there. Kid was this coach. I know that there is a stark contrast between him and Prunty as the season has worn on. And, I mean, both teams have had injuries up and down their roster. Um, with the Celtics obviously having more. The Bucks are getting a full complemented roster now. The Celtics are going. That's the, th- the thing to me that I keep I keep coming back to with this series. The Celtics are going to be really thin. And a lot of the guys that they have, a lot of their more talented players, like, uh, you know, obviously Horford comes to mind. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Greg Monroe. I'm not sure how, I don't know, as much as there's uncertainty around the Bucks with just how disappointing they've been, there's plenty of uncertainty for the Celtics, and they, they certainly have an advantage, advantage with Stevens being you know one of the best coaches in the league and just structures that team so perfectly well that he can tinker with lineups and rotations and it doesn't nothing is really lost between what role those guys play but again the talent edge favors the bucks on paper it's just about how they go about doing that and not getting caught up in whatever you know masterminding that stevens has in store for them um over the course of the series I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a secret. I've already tweeted things to this effect. Those who have listened to our two podcasts where we talked about what was a potential matchup with the Celtics and then specifically the matchup with the Celtics will have got this sense from me if I haven't explicitly said it. I, 
I don't like the series for the books. I don't like it at all. And I I agree with the the idea that or individually, even collectively, you know, the books have a talent advantage. What worries me more is I don't think that advantage is quite as large as the Celtics advantage is in terms of coaching, in terms of system, in terms of resolve. I, I think there's a lot of areas where the books can really come up short. And there are certain things that I'm not always, you know, that prone to getting tied up into. Some of that is inta- intangibles, like I mentioned resolve there. I'm dangerously close to talking about energy and effort. The Celtics have had to fight to get to this point, right? They've they've had to go through real adversity from, not just recently, from game one. And they've put together a 55-win season. Now, maybe there's a possibility that, you know, the Irving loss when it happened was just kind of one step too far for them. Or maybe even if they could get past that, there's going to be an element of, you know, all of those different setbacks and having to push through them and carry on over the season will just take a cumulative toll. And there may be some fatigue. There may just be something missing from Boston. It's possible I just think there's all of the problems we're used to with the books and I can't look past them. And they can be as simple as, you know, the books can't play four quarters. <laughs> when when have we seen the books play four quarters? Recently. I, I actually can't remember the last time we saw a books performance where we said they played well, they played well for four quarters. Their best game in recent memory was against the Spurs and they were a complete nightmare in the fourth quarter. They nearly threw that game away after three really good quarters. I don't see why that changes. I honestly don't see where this switch they can flip is that it's like, oh, we're locked in and all of a sudden we're we're going to have no problems with dealing with quarters one to four because it wasn't a motivation issue. It's not like the books haven't wanted to win games from a long way out or weren't up for it. With a lot of these guys, it was obvious how much they wanted to win, how, how hard they were trying at times in the year. And it just doesn't come together. And I, I think there is something deeper rooted there. It's the reason we've spent so much time talking about the impact Jason Kidd had. The reason we still spend so much time talking about how nothing has changed with Joe Prunty. And the reason why going into the summer, we're going to spend so much time focused on, well, who's the right coach to come in for this team and what can they bring? Because what Stevens brings, you know, we could focus on the flashier elements of it which trust me i feel like we're going to see a lot of in this series like stevens is incredibly good at out of timeout plays right and i don't know if joe prunty is going to be able to match up with that i'm just not feeling confident we'll say but beyond that i think the greatest advantage of having i don't even want to say a top tier coach stevens is a top tier coach but an above average coach right is that when it comes to this time of year, guys know what they're doing. Everyone knows how you play. It's not about looking to your left and looking to your right and saying, who's on the floor with me at this one time? It's about saying, this is Celtics basketball. Boston can say that on both ends of the floor. On defense, they're going to switch. They're going to switch, and they're going to switch again. They're going to do whatever they have to do. And they, they have a roster still, even with injuries, and maybe, as we touched on in the last episode, Arguably more so with injuries. I mean, Terry Rozier playing more minutes at the expense of Kyrie Irving doesn't hurt the the Celtics defensively and in terms of their versatility in that that regard. 
that's who their identity that's their identity isn't that end of the floor on offense this is the part which is understandably kind of tipping the balance for a lot of people and saying you know i think the books have a really good chance here the celtics move the ball very well and they're going to focus on that and they're going to keep moving until they find a good look they're not going to settle for bad shots they're going to find high percentage looks and they've got good enough shooters I can look as long as I want at Boston's offensive rating for the season, at their offensive rating of late. And I can't take the argument seriously of, you know, yeah, but how are they going to score against the Bucs? Because, I mean, the Nets scored 119 points against the Bucs, like, what, 10 days ago? Less? So why, why are we worrying about the Celtics? Why do we think that the Celtics, even depleted, can't do that? I mean... The Celtics scored 102 points against the Bucks, just not long. The game before that Nets one, actually. Um, and that was without Terry Rozier. What makes us say they can't do that again? Because for every bit, you know, as bad as the Celtics offense could be, and I, that's probably the wrong word for it, because it's not. They're just limited in some ways. They're structurally sound in terms of they know what they want to do and they're going to go to execute it. It's whether their players can is the question. The books aren't the equivalent of that on defense. It's not that the books are structurally sound. That's about whether they can execute their defense. They're liable to fall apart defensively at any moment. I think that's the key difference. <laughs> Even when they're doing well, too. Right. But that's when you look at the area that you could be most concerned about the Celtics and the area you could be most concerned about the books. I at least feel like the Celtics are going to get the most out of what they can on the offensive end. I can't say the same for the Bucks, And maybe I'll be proven wrong on that. I very much want to be. And there's obviously one element of this series more than anything else. I mean, we can talk to the various impacts that different matchups and different guys can play as we did the other day. But I mean, we can also just boil this down to if Giannis really wants to win this series and plays at the level that he can, well, the books can win. And I'm fully here for that. Let's do it. Let's let Giannis average 43 a game and guide the books to the second round. If that doesn't happen, though, I don't, I don't know what we're, what we're hanging our hat on here in terms of major optimism for the books. I know you're softening your stance on this. We're not, we'll, we'll give our full predictions at the end. But I, I know yours has changed over the last few days where mine hasn't. Um, what, is, what is the hope you see for the books? Is it, is it purely the injuries? Is it purely the talent? Because I guess if I'm playing the contrarian to that, my, my counter is just, well, the books have had more talent than most teams they've played that season. And it hasn't, it hasn't stopped them from losing games. It hasn't stopped them from losing games they should have won and losing them really poorly. I think obviously you make a lot of good points and again, going over the matchups that we have, you can find it behind the book pass. Um, we, yes, yeah, sorry, please, please do go check that on everything else out because Jordan and I have been working very, very hard <laughs> over the last 24 hours. So go read all of our stuff. We, we yes. have, we have a lot, a lot. Thousands upon thousands of words of preview content of Behind the Book Pass. And some of them are good, at least on my end. I think, I think most of them are good. Anyway, I think you make a good point because 
we for all the the talents. I mean, we talked about this on two hundred other episode. We there's a the the lines are drawn between how this series could shake out. There's the gravity of what matters in the playoffs more is it the talent or is it the coaching, and then in between the margins of what other factors will be playing in. Um, I know. Um, I think it was on the low post. They were talking about when they were talking about the series, Zach and David For- Thorpe. That was called Forp or Vorp. Anyway, um, they talked about how, and you touched on it before, Celtic, Celtics know who they are. They may not have, they might, even, might, even, might not even be close to full strength with offensively and just their skill level. And all. they're going to have to be relying on, I mean, some of the guys that they are going to have to play, like Abdel Nader. Um, I don't know if Abdel Nader will have to play. I honestly, I mean, they, have you looked at who's available to play? Like their bench, like they, otherwise they're gonna be, have to go like seven, eight deep. I think they'll go eight deep. It's not uncommon in the playoffs. They go nine deep. Yeah, you're also, you're also under for everything for all the for all the praise of Brad Stevens. He does go really deep, and he does have a deeper rotation that can flub some. You know, their I don't know mojo or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, go on. Anyway, I think the biggest thing about it, in terms of the talent, in terms of identity and all this stuff, the, the how the series will be dictated is the the Celtics can dictate any game just by bringing it bringing it down to their level of just making it like a rock fight, a slugfest, making it these like eighty to ninety point games, kind of like if you, I mean. Basically, basically. I, I love I love how like I mean just I mean and this is a reflection of what we've become used to but a team that plays competent defense it becomes bringing it down to like a slugfest but it's true though if they if they really just like muck it up and really disrupt the the Bucks's rhythm and really hone in on winning the game that way that 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 in itself is how could dictate the the series in that way, and then the and the Bucks is like how to counter that is just basically can Giannis just go supernova as we talked about the other day like that is everything is wrapped up in Giannis just going you know I don't know just going crazy and he may be slowed down in some games but I I don't know there's just that's the whole difference of how this whole thing could play out it's basically can one player overshadow like everything being in place and just making this you know not making it this chess match chess match it's like this you know stars talent whatever i've lost my train of thought as i was finishing that off since um since kyrie irving went down i mean the Celtics really have. Uh, they've done more than stay above water. I think, like they're they're nine and six in that time. For everything we talk about, like the books are nine and seven, <laughs> and I, I the books schedule was easier from my recollection at least. This Celtics team has something they can call upon. An interesting note you kind of mentioned earlier, and you're you're right in one sense, but in doing the previews that I've done, which I contributed to uh, 
the Snell Brown one, I did in their entirety the Yanis Horford, Middleton, and Tatum ones. All six of those guys have played and started all four of the games the two teams have played this year. So there are variables. Okay, we're not going to have Kyrie Irving. That shows those games out. Um, Eric Bledsoe wasn't there at the start of the year. Obviously, the Celtics bench has dramatically been disrupted because of the influence of the injuries. But there have been constants, and I, I think the key players in these this series are constants. I gotta be honest, I don't I don't get anything good from any of those scenarios, any of those matchups. Because if it's going to take it's going to take a greater team effort from Boston, right? They're not going to have they won't have someone who will go off at the level Giannis will go off and they're going to have to make that up by committee and the hope for the books has to be well if Middleton can follow up with his averages for the season and Bledsoe follows up with his averages to the season, you're pushing it pretty close to where, you know, how did the Celtics make this up? I get that's the hope. Al Horford is shooting something like 70% from the field and 60% from deep against the books this season. That's a problem. (laughs) Jason Tatum shooting the lights out from the field and from deep. Um, I believe, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, he's right around 50% from deep against the books this season. (laughs) That's a problem. And we could talk about who's missing, but what's there has hurt the books already this season. And I don't have reason to feel like it's going to do any less in, in kind of more featured roles. I've been saying this for a while. Um, I, I hope I hope I made to look stupid because I don't want to. This is not the I told you so that I want to have with everyone. But Terry Rozier is really good. I I really believe that he can do a nice mix of the things they'll need him to do without kind of taking anything away from the extra kind of kick they could get from a Horford or from a Jason Tatum. Now, for me, the what can really push it in the book's favor, and I mentioned this on episode 200, is if you get a Tony Snell, who averages 10 points per game in the series, it's a game changer, because they could well be the 10 points to push you over. If Malcolm Brogdon looks good, feels healthy, can really give you something, that's important. There are just still question marks for me. Leadership. Because if things do get bad, and at some point you'll have a bad run, you'll have a bad game, whatever it is, maybe you'll lose the first two, and you're back home, and you're already in a hole. Who do the guys turn to? We talked about this recently, and on the Milwaukee Basketball Era podcast recently, Joe Barry Parker was on, I have a feeling we may have to touch on that podcast again later in the summer for different reasons. So very interesting things were said, but... He was asked kind of that question of leadership and he hesitated and he hesitated and he came with what we had kind of felt ourselves. And he said, oh, Delhi, Delhi is Delhi is probably the most important voice in the locker room. He really has a strong voice. He's always kind of he's always. He's always helping guys. He's always looking for ways we can improve. He's always guiding guys. That doesn't bode well for me. No. It's not a reflection of Delhi, but if you ask the same question, I actually have asked this question. I asked this when I had a chance to get up close and personal with the Celtics when they were in London in January. 
their answer is Al Horford. One of those players is going to be on the court a lot more than the other and have a much greater influence on the series overall. Mm. That's somewhat alarming to me. And I don't know. I just, I, I think it's, it's easy to point to. I'm on a books podcast. I'm sorry, everyone listening. I'm sure some of you agree with me. I'm sorry for those of you who don't. Or We're all stuck on manners to... again. <laughs> those of you who think I was just trying to rain on the parade, but I'm not. I'm, I would like to think that Jordan and I can pride ourselves on telling it how we feel it is, at least. I'm not going to say telling it as it is. I'm not as bold to say we're always right. But... <laughs> it's like a 90s like, afternoon talk show. We tell it like it is. <laughs> we, Steve Wilkos. We've been, we've been pretty straight with when, things, we, when we think things have been good and when we've seen good things and when we've seen bad things. And we're now at a point where everything kind of boils down to, well, what's the season being overall? What can they bring into the postseason? There's just one, one element, pretty big element, that everyone is pointing to in the book's favor. All of the small things add up for me. And they're all of the things that we've seen undo the books against all kinds of teams this season. Whether that could be a slow start, whether that could be a fourth quarter meltdown, that could be second or third quarter, as I said. If they don't put four quarters together in every game, they're done. The Celtics will play all four quarters. Um, they're actually pretty notorious for that under Brad Stevens. They are a comeback team because if you give them a glimmer of hope, they will charge back and take it. I don't expect it to be any different. If you don't defend well from behind the three-point line, this is a team of guys who will all shoot the ball. Um, I haven't actually looked just recently. I know going into the final regular season matchup between the two teams, which was what, like the fourth last game of the regular season, there was something like a nine-game sample size since Kyrie Irving went down, maybe 10. And they had eight guys shooting better than 36% from deep and most of them shooting over 40%. The only player who had attempted a tree and wasn't shooting over 40% was Gershon Yabaseli, the dancing bear. That's it. That is a worry for me. And then we get into X's and O's. And then we get into, you know, say, for example, what we've seen from Jabari Parker recently in terms of is that extra gear there in terms of effort? Are we going to have Chris Middleton not getting foul calls and kind of quitting on a play and just spending his trip down the floor complaining at officials where the Celtics go and score? These are all the things that just can't be there. This is taking out variables. I'm not even considering a pronty rotation. I'm not considering Brandon Jennings getting minutes out of somewhere. Oh my god. Like I'm not considering some of the I'm not considering Ton getting twelve minutes to try something that none of us are entirely sure what exactly it is. It's to me, those little details are gonna add up. Yeah, there's so much ways, so many ways that they the Bucks could just shoot themselves in the foot. I think that and that's yeah. it. For me, I'm not saying for everyone, for me. There are more ways the Bucs can lose this series than they can win it. Yeah. You know, the way we say they can win it is, oh, well, they've got more talent. Deannis goes and takes over the series and they go and win. Okay. But what if he doesn't? (laughs) It's like, if he doesn't, what is the other route? What if he has a bad game or two? If Horford's really effective, if a combination of Horford and Tatum. And the the other thing, like, I I don't feel the Bucs have anything up their sleeves. Right. No, <laughs> there's no way. 
no way. The Celtics could have a lot up their sleeves for the books and for Giannis in particular. Not saying it will work, but we have seen how things as simple as switching to zone defense have completely flummoxed the books. Yep. Like was that the Spurs game? Was that the Spurs game? It was. That was when that fourth quarter comeback happened. Pop went. Let's try zone. Well, they also did the second quarter, and they like scored like two points. That's true. Good stretch. Yeah, it was that good. The books looked like they were. They thought they were playing football. Like they, they just had no yeah. idea what what game it even was. Yeah, there are going to be things like that, or they're going to come at the books that they didn't see in the regular season against Boston. I uh, will get. We're we're kind of we're almost there on this. <laughs> right? There's one thing I want to touch on, and it's a further note of concern for me. And we're going to be back in about not much over 24 hours. And I hope to be joyously celebrating a game one victory and forgetting about all of these things. The Bucks, though, have been not too shy in sharing their joy at this matchup. And I don't think that's very smart. Jabari Parker on that Milwaukee basketball air didn't make any secret about it. I mean, he was pretty candid on a lot I of think, things. I think we this, have this to... is one of them. I think have a we whole have episode to... on that soon. <laughs> I think we have to uh, borrow another maxim from another uh, Simeon high school star and use it for Jabari in, in that Jabari Parker says stuff. Cause, he sure does. Uh, yeah, he does. Anyway. There was also, um, Mafalaska has quoted it a couple of times, he reported it, that he overheard in the locker room after that Sixers game. <laughs> They got rocked uh, by 35 points. They got rocked by 35 points. Jabari was asked, by the way, what was where guys pretty down on the... I don't. Did you hear the Milwaukee basketball area? No. Okay, I well, read, in case people haven't, because I've, I've alluded to it. Um, I don't know if this excerpt was transcribed anywhere or reported. He was asked, though, you know, what was the mood on the team playing um, after that game in the locker room? It's not really the greatest way to finish the regular season. Were you guys down? And I, I am paraphrasing here, so this is not a direct quote, but Jabari said, I hope my teammates don't get angry at me for this. But we were laughing and joking the whole time. You know, this is a big thing. It's kind of, it's something that's done. And that was important for us. And we just had some fun with it. I was like, oh, okay. And the the direct quote from Mafalaska's post-game piece, I believe he shared it on Twitter the night of the Sixers game two. Uh, from the piece, I quote, no one in the locker room seemed upset with that turn of events. At one player saying, way to go, Miami. The Celtics already had this chip on their shoulder to, because there was this idea, even if it wasn't as real as maybe it seemed... It's been put to them for a couple of weeks now. Everyone wants to play it. Everyone wants to play it. Everyone wants to play it. That, to me, is the ultimate recipe for, you know, statement game one. Or at least a statement start to game one. And I don't know. I, I, is there ever a benefit to publicly commenting on your, your matchup like that in any way. Because even Chris Middleton, I mean, ahead of the end of the season, he was kind of saying, look, there was a time they were in seven, and he was saying, we're, we're happy where we're at. You know, it's not the worst It was spot. after that, um... 
What game was it? It was after the Nets lost. There was a game in between. The Knicks, was it? Or the Magic? Which one? It must have been the Knicks because I don't think I watched that game. And they were they were sixth after the Magic one. So it was after the Knicks game. God. I mean, those kind of things. I don't know. Are you with me on that? That that's just a little bit strange, or in terms of even a focus perspective. We are the wizards. We are the wizards. That it... <laughs> no, we're not. No, don't do that. We are. They are. They're that is total. That is a page out of the wizards book. Oh my god, I'm drinking this series. I'm going back to my original prediction. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that wasn't my intention. I don't. They're not the wizards. Don't say that because that will really. You know how I feel about the wizards. We if are only, the wizards. If only we are we... the wizards. If only we could be looking forward to a matchup with the Wizards potentially at some point. Um, but there's no chance of that team ever getting to the conference finals. I don't know. Cleveland don't want to play them. Yeah. Um, Jordan, I think we've said a lot of what we can say on this series for now until some actual basketball gets played. We have some results to reflect on. And our favorite part, I think, of the playoffs experience that is when the people say things you know because i'm i'm kind of alluding to some of the things the book said ahead of this matchup things are going to be said you know brad stevens is brad stevens going to provide an encore by talking about delhi screens if delhi plays a role who knows he will not do it in the same way no um the celtics with maybe the exception of marcus morris will not get as upset as the raptors did generally about anything but he'll let us know about it. He has a passive-aggressive way of letting you know about things. And I, I think we may get some of that if if it's required. But for it to be required, the books will have to do some things. Okay, Jordan, it is that time. What is your prediction for the series and who will win game one? I've given much thought. I've made predictions. I've amended those predictions. I've given it much thought again. And I amended that second prediction. So this is my third and final prediction. So yeah, basically, even though I'm about to give this prediction, do not listen to me whatsoever. Okay? I'm going to go Celtics and seven. And... The Bucks win game one. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. Um, I mean, that is. I mean, that's all of the trills. I mean, we'll be entertained at least if the Bucks win game one. It ends up as a seven-game series. To let fill people in, you started off. You've you've got more optimistic because that's rare. I mean, in terms of what the Bucks have done to you recently, but you started off at Celtics by five, or Celtics in five. You went Celtics in six. And you've now reached a point where Celtics and seven is your call. So the, the collective zeitgeist who really like the books, you know, that has rubbed off on Jordan. And uh, it seems like the writing those matchup pieces did something to you too. You obviously the one the one in particular that really you did Rosier Bledsoe. What was that? Yeah, but that one I, that one's a little hard to parse because. Sorry, did you say it was the bench one that was the? It was the bench one, just because. I know I'm. I was just joking about Jabari, but I do think he can play a role. I think also Brogdon. Again, very small sample size. Very small. Last two games, very encouraging for me, especially the Philly game. I know that a lot of that was just you know, running out the game, but 
from the first minute. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, there's just something about the bench because that always is a thing for me, especially in, in playoff series. I know you're not – that's something not everybody would gravitate towards because, again, we're talking about stars. They're going to play more minutes. Giannis already plays a, a ton of minutes already, so he's going to play even more. But to, let, like, improve their margin for error, if Jason Terry hits, like, two threes in each game or Jabari does Jabari things. I'm not worried well. about Jet. I, I, like, it's the second part that I'm worried about. We yeah. know what Jet's I mean, that is, Like, that's yeah. the thing. I... He's been very consistent second half of this season, and we saw last season his age hasn't kind of changed the fact that he will he can step it up a notch for the playoffs. He understands that he gets that he cares about that, and there are other variables. Just before we start recording, I I, I saw Mafalaska's released his kind of matchups piece where he he broke things down. He actually went with the Celtics as having the advantage in the bench, which. I didn't even have time to fully read his reasoning, but I was a little surprised by, um, because I think you're right. The bench could be significant, and more than even just because Jabari and Brogdon are there. I think it's because you know the Celtics bench is effectively the core of the Celtics starting lineup right now. You know, if everyone was healthy, you'd have one of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on the bench. You'd have Terry Rozier on the bench. Um, you'd have Marcus Smart available from the bench. You know, yeah. they, they've had some pretty significant turmoil in that department. You're forgetting Greg Monroe. I was, I'm not. I was about to finish on uh, that. I, I will say the one thing for the bench matchup is, in the irony of all ironies, the books will have absolutely no answer for Greg Monroe. And if we thought Moose had fun in the playoffs against the Raptors last season, he could go... And have even more fun against the books, and I'm sure he'll be out to do that, and that's his prerogative, and I respect him for it. Um, my prediction: I'm going with books in. I'm not really. I'm going. I got Celtics in five. Um, I've said it before. I don't think I need to say it again. Those of you who listen, those of you who are familiar with my opinions, my work at this point, you'll know that I very much want the books to get through this. That I would like to see the perfect version of this. I think we could all, after this season, I think we could all do it, a breaking that run without a, without a playoff series win. And getting into a second round series that wouldn't be ideal for the books, considering moments they've had against both of those teams, but could be intriguing. You know, it's not as scary as it could potentially get for that level, there would be a lot for us to enjoy and a lot for this team to take from that. I just, I can't, I can't see it. If it happens for me, it's because Giannis goes supernova. Even at that, I think there's an element where the Celtics would be able to stay with him and not because of what he's doing or not doing, just because of the long running, the almost inbuilt flaws in this books team at this point they're not going to be fixed right now they're not going to be fixed till next season most likely so yeah i i'm not feeling all that positive i i could easily have gone celtics by six that's the one thing i'll say but ultimately i'm i think i'm gonna go with five and say if you know our oasis comes to fruition 
with Giannis going supernova. I mean, we could have a champagne supernova in the sky. <laughs> yeah, we could. Um, I don't have anything else to go with that Oasis joke. Has you know? You also pre- no, no, no. <laughs> pretty much finished me off for this episode. So on that note, that's it for us. We will be back with you very soon after the game. I mean, not immediately after the game because we actually have to record the podcast, but as quickly as we can record and turn it around, we will have a post-game podcast for you on Sunday evening. Uh, Jordan will be here with me. Ty Windish also mm. penciled in, but you never know when you know, Ty's schedule could intervene. So what happens when you get big the personalities. Guest door, the guest door will be open. Anybody... But, yeah, we have we'll see what happens. We have <laughs> refreshments. The plan is at least for Jordan, Ty, and I to break down all of the goings-on from Game 1 in Boston. We also have Twister. Until then, thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorites and tune in radio to make sure you get every single episode of our bonus books winning six playoff run and most importantly of all go read mine jordan the rest of the team's work at behindthebookpass.com we are working hard there is so much there as jordan said it is it is good i think it's objectively good we got a smorgasbord like our hors d'oeuvres and refreshments and paper plates and it will only continue to overflow throughout the playoffs yes regular post-game content lots of other kind of analysis and opinions in between days off things like that no days off for us even when there are for the books until sunday thanks for listening thank you jordan thank 